We were reading about Pythagoras, and we found out that he was taught a bit by Thales, T-H-A-L-E-S. So I'm going to read a little bit about him and uh, the history of philosophy by A.C. Grayling. Thales uh, was traditionally regarded as one of the seven sages of Greece. His flurry at of 585 BCE suggested to later commentators that he was born in 625 BCE on the assumption that men reached the midpoint of their lives about the age of 40. His birthplace of Miletus, M-I-L-E-T-U-S, on the eastern shores of the Aegean was a wealthy and flourishing city. He was an astronomer, a mathematician, and despite a reputation for unworldly philosophizing, an engineer of note. See, he has a reputation of an unworldly philosophizing. And you say he wasn't a mystic, but what's the unworldly philosophizing? And how is it that he told Pythagoras to be a vegetarian? So. Mm -hmm. Your imputation, oh, imputation. What? Thursday, T-H-U-R-S-D-A-Y. The imputation of unworldliness comes from a story recounted by Plato in the Theaetetus that Plato's fell into a well because he was gazing up at the stars so intensely that he did not look where he was going. He was, said Plato, laughed at by a witty and charming Thracian serving girl for this. <laughs> it is reinforced by a story Aristotle tells in his politics that Thales' neglect of worldly ambition meant that he was poor and was reproached for being so by his contemporaries. The story of the well might have its roots in the fact that if you descend to the bottom of a well, you can see the stars even in daylight. Hmm. The possibility that Thales was doing just that is suggested by other evidence of his practicality. When he was criticized for his poverty, he said nothing, but studied the weather carefully until one year he was able to predict that there would be a glut of olives. Before this became obvious to anyone else, he rented all the olive presses in Miletus and rented them back at a premium to their anxious owners when the later came begging for them. Aristotle says, in this way he proved that philosophers can easily be wealthy if they wish, but that is not what they are interested in. A clinker regarding Thales' practicality is the story that he was hired by a ruler of neighboring Lydia, King Croesus, to find a way for his army to cross the river Halles without building a bridge. He did it by having the army camp on the bank, then digging a ditch around it, and diverting. Remember that story? Mm -hmm. Diverting part of the river's flow to make it pass on both sides of the camp so shallowly that it could easily be forded on either direction. Didn't that appear in um, Herodotus? Mm -hmm. yeah, These credentials help us to evaluate the views Thales held and his reasons for holding them. Obviously, he had a serious mind, and there was a good reason why his successors in the tale of philosophy regarded him as the first of their name. He's regarded as the first philosopher. Hmm. Recall that one of the chief interests of the pre-Socratics was the interest
was the question of the nature and source of the world in the sense of universe. The term they used was cosmos. Hence the label given to them of Fusake, or physicist. Fusake. Do you know that word? Fusake. Physicist. Their distinct mark is the rejection of traditional mythological accounts of the cosmos. One such account is offered by Hesiod in his Theogony, written about 700 B.C., a work of great and even powerful poetic charm, but scarcely satisfying to an intelligent and genuinely interested inquirer into the nature of the world. Hesiod tells us that, first of all, chaos came into being. From chaos was born Erebos and Black Night, and from night again was born Aether, Either, and Day, and whom she conceived and bore after mingling with Erebos. In desiring a more intellectually compelling account, Taoists sought to identify the cosmos's arch, A-R-C-H-E, a word which was, can be translated as principle and which, and which in the context denotes what the cosmos consists of or from which it comes into existence or both. As Aristotle put it in talking of the pre-Socratics and indeed of Taoists specifically, the arc or principle is that of which all existing things are composed and that from which they originally come to be and that into which they finally perish. This, they state, is the element and principle of the things that are. Tali's candidate for this principle was water. So he believed in water. Of course, that's one of the most important things on the planet, huh? How do you spell Lacador? L-O-U, I guess. Why did Thales nominate water? One might can reconstruct his thinking as well. Water is ubiquitous. It is in the sea. It falls from the sky. It runs in your veins. You cut it a plant. If you cut a plant, you see that it has liquid inside. If you rub a clot of earth in your hands, it is damp. We and all animals and plants die without it. And therefore, it is essential for life, which is true, right? Water is essential. Even now, from the NASA search for life on other planets. Moreover, water could be said to produce the Earth itself. For you need only look at the vast quantities of soil produced by the Nile as it floods every year. A reference to the silt thus washed down. And moreover, again, as this kind of clincher, Water is the only substance Taoists knew that can occupy all three material states, solid when it freezes, liquid in its basic state, and gas when it boils away into steam. You might indeed say that water, ubiquitous, essential, productive, metamorphic, is a rather brilliant choice of arc. If you lived in 16th, 6th century B.C., Ionia. But if it is so much... But it is not so much what Taoists chose to identify as the Ark as how and why he did so. He did not rely on legends, myths, ancient scriptures, teachings, or traditions. He relied upon instead on observation and reason. That is why he is the first philosopher. The contrast with accounts of the cosmos of the kind given by Hesiod is sharp. Hesiod himself, no doubt, regarded this account as figurative or symbolic.
But there is a large difference between being content with figurative accounts and trying to offer a theory that can be supported by observation and reason. Aristotle also tells us that he interpreted Taoists as having held that soul, anima, A-N-I-M-A, soul or anima, is what causes motion. Dear, does the soul cause motion? For he is reported to have said that a magnet has a soul because it moves iron. And further, that soul is mixed in with the whole universe. And perhaps this is why Taoists suppose that all things are full of gods. Do you think to move, to cause motion, you need a god inside? Why? When, people, when somebody dies, they don't move, do they? Well, isn't a, person, isn't a person part water and part soul? Part everything. If, if you're going to move, do you have to have a soul and co combined with water? <laughs> Aristotle tells us that he interpreted Taoists as having held that soul or anima is what causes motion, for he is reported to have said that a magnet has a soul because it moves iron, and further that soul is mixed in with the whole universe, and perhaps this is why Taoists suppose that all things are full of gods. Here one must recall that at the very beginning of philosophy, which is also the very beginning of science, the conceptual resources for explaining motion and change were few. The one thing available for an explanation of how things can move or change was an analogy with one's own human experience of agency. I pick up a stone and throw it into a pool, making a splash. I made this sequence events happen, so by analogy there must be some similar active principle that accounts for motion and change in the world. Indeed, we speak of something animating, something else, harking back to the idea that things other than animals, this word itself, betoking animated things, have an aid, power of agency, can move, a change, or act on other things. What Taoists was therefore groping for was an account that would allow a generalization from such phenomenon as my experience of agency and the magnet's power to move iron to an exclusive explanation for alterations of place and state. And how else, without a vocabulary yet sufficient for the purpose to talk of this than to say a magnet as a soul, thereby meaning an animating principle, a power of causation or of an interaction with other things? Taoist is credited with the injunction, well, know thyself. Uh -huh. Hmm. I thought that was at the... Uh, Delphi Oracle, Noste hmm. Siton, Nostum. He is said to have died when old, of heat and thirst, while watching a gymnastic contest on a hot day, in short, from dehydration. My God. Hmm. For one who held that water is the ark of the cosmos, this is an ironic end. Diogenes Laetes uh, records a different account of his death, quoting a letter said to have been written by Anna Simonis, A N A 
X-I-M-E-N-E-S, whom we meet shortly, to a letter said to be written to Pythagoras. Pythagoras, here the story is that Thales went out one night with a serving woman to look at the stars, and forgetting where he was, stepped over the edge of a steep slope and fell. Anaximenes then adds in testament to Thales's position at the fountainhead of philosophy, quote, Let us, who were his students, remember the man and continue to regale one another with his words. Let all our discussions begin with Thales. Mm. 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 He seems to have died of dehydration. Mm. Hmm. Quite interesting. A little nugget. A short, brief, 13-minute reading about Taoists. Let all our discussions begin with him. With Taoists.